Welcome to Shrink for the Shy Guy. This is the show for you if you are sick and tired of being held back by fear, self-doubt, social anxiety, shyness, anything that's stopping you from you being you. I'm going to share the most powerful tools and resources that I've been discovering over the last 15 years on my journey to eradicate social anxiety and instill confidence, first in myself and then in every single person that I meet on my journey. You're going to learn these tools and how to apply them in your life now so that you can become the most free, powerful, bold, authentic version of you. Hey, welcome to today's episode of the show. Today, my goal for you is to have more permission to be you. And that's not necessarily unique to this episode. I mean, that's kind of a theme of this show, right? Is to discover who you are, to own who you are, to be able to express who you are, and to do so unapologetically. So that's the general theme of this show. However, today I really want to specifically zero in on that, on you being you. And I want to shine some light on this in a few different directions to, to help speed that up, to help magnify that and, and really to highlight some of the ways in which you might be inhibiting, suppressing, judging, or pushing yourself down. And you might be aware of it and you might not be aware of it. And so you're going to discover any of those processes that are happening and then how to turn those off or free yourself of that so you can be more be more you and uh, and live life more as, as you are who you are on your terms. So and it's also relevant in that I, I was discovering something about myself in this regard that I think I'll share that story and I think it'll be really useful for you to, to see how it maps on into your in your own life. So basically, you know, you, me, all of us, we learned as we were growing up what the right way to be is. You know, right is in quotations, air quotes right there for you. Right? So what's the right way to be? And there's a thousand and one right ways to be, right? There's a thousand and one rules about how you should be. And those are unique to your um, culture that you grew up in, your family culture, your religious community culture, your school culture, your country's culture, your ethnic group's culture, your, you know, your political uh, upbringing, the, the political persuasions of the people that raised you, the philosophies of the people that raised you, right? That that all comes together, that and a you know, million other things, comes together to create this cultural conditioning. And uh, the language that I like for it is actually, uh, I get from Donnie Epstein, where he calls it the cultural field. And I like that because it actually captures something, which is it is not just this conditioning that existed back then, you know, behaviorism, it's just stuff that happened to you. It's actually something that exists, you know, now. And it is invisible, like a field, like gravity or uh, electromagnetism. And like those forces, it influences you. And it has its own sort of pull to it. And there's a pull to stay within the cultural field that you grew up in. Because that's what's right. That's what the rules are. That's what's normal. That's what's good. And so if you were to uh, defy that or break that, then you might have the sense that it's something you're doing something bad or wrong or dangerous or foolish or mistaken or stupid or whatever the judgment you want to put on it. It's just some sense of like, uh-oh, this ain't right. And that's what you grew up with. 
then there is you expressing yourself authentically, truthfully, being who you're meant to be, doing what you're meant to do here. And in some ways, who you're meant to be might differ from the cultural field that you grew up in and maybe even currently reside in. And therein lies the conflict, right? Because what do you do? Well, what many people do is they suppress their authenticity to fit into the cultural field. This is conformity. This is the easiest approach. This is the what feels like the safest approach. It's certainly the you know most comfortable approach, at least in the short term. It has some pretty uncomfortable consequences, but they're kind of drawn out. You know, it's like the it's instead of getting the um, the big you know uh, big fall where you you break your leg or something like that. It's more like the thousand paper cuts kind of thing. So you know you don't you don't have anyone condemning you or judging you or family saying you're bad or whatever. You don't get all that any confrontation, but then you also start to lose yourself over time. And that can be very, very painful. But that's what most people do. And it's not all or nothing. You don't just completely uh, surrender to the cultural field and have no individuality or no authenticity, right? It's like, it's a matter of degrees. And you kind of pick your battles. and But in general, you'll kind of steer default towards the cultural field. And if you have a lot of social anxiety, a lot of niceness, then you're, real, you're really like bound up and trapped in the cultural field. And you perceive the, the, the values or the rules of the cultural field as uh, more powerful than you. But the cultural field is only as, as powerful as you are uh, weak in your reality. So if your reality is weak, then the cultural field will appeal very strong. But if your reality is strong, if you've owned you and you're showing up in your life and you're developing your boldness and your strength and your confidence, then the cultural field actually loses a lot of its power. Not all of it, but a lot of it. You know, simple example of this is, um, you know, there's some cultural norms of how you're supposed to act out in public. And it changes based upon the country or the region. And in general, you know, kind of certain things like dancing on a street corner or walking over and asking someone an unusual question, like, can I have a bite of your chips or whatever, saying certain things, doing certain things is kind of outside of the bounds of the cultural field. And so one of the things that I, uh, you know, do with people to help them break free and, um, you know, I, you know, I've encouraged and heard feedback from thousands of people all over the world who've been doing this on their own through my guidance or Confidence University or other things or this show. And then also when I'm in person with people, I will take them out and do this stuff with them. Is you go out into the world and you say, okay, the cultural field, at least how I interpret it, says I'm not supposed to say hi to people. It says I'm not supposed to move my body in certain ways out here. It says I'm not supposed to make noise. And so we systematically challenge each of those things. And at first, for somebody, this feels like terrifying. You know, the cultural field is invisible, but it's definitely um, has an influence over you. And so then they're like, oh, my gosh, I can't say hi to that person or I can't do this or I can't do that. And then, you know, within a relatively short period of time, I can get pretty much anyone to be doing whatever they want. <laughs> and then they break, assuming they're willing and they, they want to grow in this way. Then, boom, within 30 minutes, they're dancing on a street corner and giving people high fives and whatever else. 
So as they've grown in their strength, all of a sudden that cultural field like boom, snaps, and then they're, they're free. Now, that's a small a challenge to the like they're challenging a small subset of rules there it's not a super intense deeply ingrained stuff it gets more interesting when you when you have perspectives about how you're supposed to live and you know who you're supposed to choose as a partner and what you're supposed to do for work and you know this is where i see kind of a deeper life example you know the person who is in a certain career field like i remember i worked with this guy who was in finance and that's not what he felt like he was here to do. But he'd pursued that because his his dad, his family was in finance, and particularly his dad really encouraged that. And and he's like, well, this is the... And, and it wasn't just like, I'm supposed to do this because my dad said so. It was kind of like, this is the most smart thing to do. This is the reasonable thing to do. This is what, um, not just my dad, but as me as a man is what I'm supposed to do. And so he'd, you know, been in this field for, I don't know, maybe 15 years by the time we met. And for him to challenge that norm, that cultural field was way more intense than someone, you know, jiggling their their booty on a street corner, right? That's like a very mild uh, rule to break. And this one was this one was pretty strong for him. And that's how the cultural field can maintains control is it positions itself as like the right way to be, the smart way to be, the good way to be, the righteous way to be, the the kind way to be. This is what you should do to be a good person. And as long as you're buying into that, it becomes very hard to challenge it because to to do so makes you feel like you're a bad person. And so then people are left with this choice of either do this thing that I'm supposed to do and be good or pursue something that feels more authentic to me, but that's very bad or stupid or wrong. And that's a very hard choice to make. And what often happens is people just don't make that choice. They stay within the cultural field until you start to discover that your way, your path, your authentic signature in, in the way in which life moves through you is actually not wrong, but better than not wrong. It's okay. And better than okay, it is optimal. And what that means is it's what is meant to, to come through you is of the greatest benefit to the world, to you, to those around you, to the broader world. And it's very important to see Especially because let's say you have other people in your world who are really plugged into the cultural field and then you want to go pursue this thing, that, that, you know, whatever it is, small or big in your life, they might not say, oh, good for you. Yeah, you be your authentic you and that's going to benefit everyone. They might say, whoa, 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 whoa. And they could use a whole bunch of different tactics, right? It might be like, are you sure about that? Are you, is, that a, is that a good idea? I don't know about that, right? Or they might more directly challenge you. Say that's stupid or how could you? It depends on how much authority they think they have over you or, um, you know, sometimes a, a parent might be more intense in, in enforcing the cultural field than with a friend or something like that because the parent has a presumed or perceived authority and maybe a presumed or perceived uh, responsibility in their eyes. Like, hey, listen, I just got to make sure my kid doesn't make a stupid mistake 
Okay, my job is to get them to follow the cultural field because following the cultural field is what's going to keep you safe. It's what's going to keep you alive. But there's some problems with that because staying safe and staying alive while important, obviously, is not the end game. And there might be certain times, locations, and places in in, um, history or currently, you know, where if you were to really stand out from the cultural field, you know, maybe that would be extremely dangerous. And if you live in a place like that right now, then obviously use your discretion, you know, if to be outspoken about your sexual orientation was going to bring violence to you right now based on where you live or something, then obviously don't do that, right? Get, find, find a way to own your, your reality without announcing it to the world. But a lot of the stuff now is um, it, it is okay. And you get to decide um, which ones might not be. And, you know, in certain places right now, uh, it depends on where you are in the world and what your um, location and uh, political status is around you. But in the United States, certain circles, you know, if someone does not believe in the same perceptions or choices with someone else around uh, COVID or vaccination or things like that, that, that can bring on animosity and intense rejection. So again, whether it's extreme or violence or mild, you know, authenticity doesn't mean having to announce everything to the world. But what it does mean is your choice to pursue meaningful things for you to, and to do them in a way that's your way. That's really what I want to get to, is to to do it your way. And one thing for me that's been hard to shake from the cultural field is if you you do it your way, your way is wrong, (laughs) to put it it simply. And uh, I was just looking at this recently in my life where in a particular facet. I mean, because this, this can show up in a thousand and one ways, right? Like you, the clothes you wear or the your hairstyle. I mean, it could be a thousand things. But for me, um, I noticed this idea about how I'm supposed to be, particularly in, uh, in work, career, and business. And I have a, a friend and a colleague who is very like uh, r- rational in business and um, has taken tons of business trainings and, uh, you know, makes a lot of spreadsheets and really knows his stuff inside and out about how to build and scale business. And he's, you know, he's like, got to go to this training, got to go to that training. And I've done some of them. And I'm at these trainings and I'm like, oh, shoot me, please. It's terrible. But then I'm like, yeah, but you should know this stuff. This is what you got to do. If you want to be smart in business disease, you got to know this stuff. And even that tone feels like the cultural field to me. And, you know, it kind of rings of school too, right? And there's a certain way to do something. There's a smart way to do it. And it's, and it's very rational and left brain and planned. And then you execute on the plan. And it kind of culminated. So one of the manifestations of this was like a perpetual sense of like, I should be spending more of my time like, mapping things out and planning them and spreadsheeting them and like know all the numbers and just get it inside and out. And I never really did. I mean, I got a general idea of what's going on, but I'm not going to be making all the spreadsheets. Uh, and, and then it also showed up in, uh, when it comes to teaching, 
and I was uh, under the same friend and colleague's suggestion. He's like, you got to take this this course on speaking and um, persuasion and everything. And I was like, okay, sounds sounds like the right reasonable thing to do. And so I take the course, and it's great advice. It's really high level training on how to prepare your whatever it is, a, a webinar, a, an event, a speaking gig you know, to, to be the most persuasive and to sell something and to get people on board with your ideas, right? And so I'm there at the training and everything makes sense on paper. It is the right way to do it. It's a smart way to do it. And something just snapped and I was like, I don't, no, no, I don't, I don't want to do it that way. And particularly this guy's like, you know, you got to, you got to prepare, you got to come up with your presentation ahead of time and you got to practice it a lot and come up with these certain things that you do in every presentation and and I just felt this aversion inside and I was like no I don't want to do it that way and then part of my mind was like what do you mean you want to do it that way like what do you that's the only way to do it it's stupid otherwise anything else is bad and you know it reminds me of how I would do these um these events these three-day teaching events immersions that I would do and I've been doing them for years, and the last you know handful we've done virtually, remotely, because of all that's happening in the world. And before that, they were in person. And before every single event, I would spend a huge amount of time creating this really elaborate outline. I'm going to do this. I'm going to teach that. I'm going to do that. Down to like what I'd be trying to imagine what I'd be saying. And inevitably, especially in the you know uh, first couple hours of the first day. All that would just become like a clutterful, annoying thing. Like I just kind of throw a lot of it away. And I realized, you know, if I were going to not hold anything back and not use the language of the cultural field and just use my own language that felt most authentic and true for me, it would be this. That the less preparation I do when I get to the, the moment of sharing and being with people and coaching and teaching if I'm just there in the moment and whatever comes through me comes through me, that's the best stuff. That's like divine conduit stuff. Like I'll say something, I'll be like, where did that come from? That was really good, right? Because what's happening is I'm feeding off of the person I'm interacting with, whether it's coaching or teaching. And some of it I'm feeding off of their direct question, but I'm also just feeding off of their energy and their emotion. And there's so much information that's being transferred back and forth. And I realized like, oh, I that, that's what I need to do. So my method actually involves the discipline to prepare less. And that just freaked a part of me out. It's like, what do you mean prepare less? That's terrible. And then I was reminded of this other phrase, also from Donnie Epstein, uh, which he says is, uh, he calls the edge of chaos. And it's this place to go when you need some instability, when you need some change in your life, when you need to break things up or crack things open as you go to the edge of chaos. And I just love that phrase and love that concept. And I realized like, oh, when it comes to teaching, I need to go to the edge of chaos. Like this conversation, this thing that I'm sharing with you right now, I had a general idea of what I wanted to talk about and absolutely no bullet points. It's just me. In, you can see my office right now. I have like a corner. It's a soundproof building that I'm in, which I love. It's my studio and I can record video here. And there's a corner that's got my all my podcast and audio recording stuff. And so I like face into the corner. So I'm like talking to a dark corner of the room and it's just flowing through. And I realized like, oh, that's when the best stuff comes, whether it's this, whether it's uh, writing when I'm writing and I kind of get out of my own way and then boom, I'll just like start typing and stuff will happen. 
And I realized like, oh, wait a minute. Oh, wait a minute. Instead of like trying to continually make myself more this other way, what I need to do is I need to get better at this way. And the best metaphor I, I, I came up with this for the other, was the other day was when I was younger, I played a lot of guitar. And I first started with um, electric guitar because I wanted to learn how to play punk and Metallica because Metallica was the first CD I ever bought, Justice for All. And uh, so I wanted to play some, you know, heavy Metallica stuff. And then I learned that. And then, and then I eventually got into classical guitar because I absolutely loved that and flamenco guitar. And so I played a ton of that. And particularly classical is about learning a piece and playing it a billion times until you can perform it flawlessly. And I don't think I was ever good enough to play like the complex classical stuff I was trying to learn flawlessly, but I could play it, you know, I could play it okay. And, uh, but I still had just hours and hours and hours and hours of like trying to get that exact progression, making it sound perfect. And then there's another style of music that's jazz, where you just show up and you riff and you play with what's in front of you. And I just realized, I was like, oh, my way right now at this point in my life is more like jazz and less like the pre-planned classical stuff. And that's perfect. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose to trust in that way. And so even technically, if I, if I prepared more to do these other things, I would have um, you know, maybe better sales or better outcomes. It's like, well, maybe, maybe. I don't know, though, because I feel like the more congruent and the more authentic you are, the more effective you are on all fronts. And I'm also okay with if I did this other preparation, did these other things that could technically do better. But you know what? That's okay. I don't, I don't know if I need to maximize everything. What if, it's about, what if it's about the dance and the play and the doing cool stuff? And so I wonder as you're listening, what, where might you be holding yourself back or judging some way that you're being and thinking you're supposed to be another way and then trying to pressure yourself or judge yourself or imagine what mom or dad would think or society would think or whatever would think. And just what if you just open up to the possibility of like, maybe I can do it more my way. And maybe my way is not the best way, but it's going to feel the best. And, you know, it's, it's a conversation between you and life and the universe around you. So if you want to change or upgrade your way based upon feedback, great. And what about honoring it more and more and more? And what about getting better and better at doing it your way? Doing you your way. Expressing you your way. And, and the more you practice that, the better that expression comes. And then what opens up? What becomes possible for you when you are being not just more you, but like the maximum of that, the most fully expressed of that, right? It's like the jazz, whatever, jazz guitarist or jazz uh, drummer or something who's like not just doing jazz, but has been doing jazz for like 15 years. And like what emerges out of them, what, what, what uh, you know, kind of delightful, surprising magic comes through them. Because they practice that channeling of the moment, of flow, of spontaneity, of the divine. And, and how could you do that? So that's a couple questions for you, actually, as you listen here. One is, in general, it could be something totally different than what I'm talking about. It could be nothing to do about, you know, expressiveness and spontaneity and stuff. It could be totally about something else. Like, you know, you, you've always wanted to um, make more art in your life or you've wanted to be able to 
um, choose a, a different way of doing, you know, different spiritual beliefs or something than your family of origin. So then that's a place for you to lean in. But there's, you know, and then you can also look at this particular area of expressiveness because I think that's really relevant to, to almost everybody as well. And, you know, one person I drew on to give me support, to give me encouragement, to give me confidence in this area was not some teacher, was not some author, was not some guru. It was my five-year-old kid. And his name is Armand. And he is in our house. First of all, talk about edge of chaos. That kid's like the chaos factor in the house. Me and my wife, Candace, and my older son, Zayim, we all like order. We want things on shelves. We want things clean. We want things put in the right place. Makes us feel good. Armand, <laughs> no, he's the chaos factor, right? Like, I'm going to throw this over here and break this apart and see what happens. And that's really the name of the game. He wants to do stuff and see what happens. It's not about the most practical way. It's not about the best way. It's not about, you know, the most efficient way. Certainly not the most logical way. It's what happens when I do blank. And then once he's figured it out and done the weird thing once, he's like, all right, I got it. You know, I've seen what happens when you put an apple in the air fryer. I see what happens when you, you know, we got this juicer and, uh, and my wife juices, you know, various things, including celery juice and all these kinds of things, whatever. And, and one day we just got up, we got a pineapple and he's like, I want to juice a pineapple. And the funny thing about his juicing is like every juice he makes, he doesn't drink. Even the stuff you think you would drink, like that's sweet. Right? So he'll make apple juice and he won't drink it. He'll make orange juice and he won't drink it. And he's like, I'm going to make pineapple juice. And we're like, okay, we'll just make a little bit because you didn't drink the apple juice and you didn't drink the orange juice. And he's like, no, I need to make a lot. It's like, well, you're probably going to waste the pineapple because, <laughs> no, I need to make a lot. It's like, okay, all right. So he makes a lot of pineapple. <laughs> and they were doing that um, this morning when I went to work. And then I got in for lunch in my house and I opened up the fridge to get some food. And sure enough, there's a big glass <laughs> of undrinking pineapple juice. And I was like, ah, it's the money factor. But instead of like judging it as bad, I just get a big smile on my face. Because his mantra is like, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to test it myself. I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to do it my way. And he just told my wife literally two days ago. She texted me because she's like, this is hilarious. You know what he said? Out of nowhere, they're driving somewhere. She's not asking him questions or anything. And out of, the, out of nowhere, he's in the back scene. He says, Mom, uh, I just need to, I'm the kind of person that needs to um, do things to see what happens. I just need to do things to see what happens. She laughs. She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. You do do that. And he's like, yeah. So talk about knowing himself. And uh, I heard that. I was like, yeah, 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 me too. I just need to do stuff see what happens. You know, so hopefully this gives you more space and more permission to be you. And so you want to, you know, whether it's dating or relationships or finances or creation or writing or music or life path choices or philosophy or spiritual choices or preferences and how you want to be and who you want to be, like, do it your way. I'm going to be the kind of person who just does things and figures out. It's not, it's not the best way. It might not be every other person's way. Someone else might be able to have a smarter, more rational reason and, and have better results. But you know what? That's well, not for me. I got to do it my way. So before we conclude for today, let's talk about how to put this into action. Time for action. 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 Well, your action step is to find one way to do something your way in the next day or so. 
right? It could be something real small. It could be something bigger. But the goal is that you intentionally, consciously notice like, okay, I'm going to do this my way. And it might feel like a bit of a risk. Like to me, I went and tested it out with a training where I went into this training I was going to give. And I went in and I brainstormed for about 10 minutes ahead of time. I took a few notes, but I didn't have a bullet point. I'm going to say this at this moment. And at 12, you know, 1210, I'm going to say this and that. It was just wide open. And man, I loved it. I just felt so connected and it was jazz and it was beautiful. But leading up to it, I was kind of anxious. I was like, oh boy, here we go. I'm doing it wrong. Uh, but the more you, you test it, the more you realize, you know what? It's actually maybe right. Certainly right for me. All right, fantastic. Thanks for being with me today. Until we speak again, may I have the courage to be who you are and to know on a deep level that you're awesome. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to Shrink for the Shy Guy with Dr. Aziz. If you know anyone who can benefit from what you've just heard, please let them know and send them a link to shrinkfortheshyguy.com. For free blogs, ebooks, and training videos related to overcoming shyness and increasing confidence, go to socialconfidencecenter.com.